Hello, I'm Kate Freeman, and this is The Daily Dollop. The Daily Dollop podcast is proudly brought to you by The Capital Chemist, Australia's premium community pharmacy where loyalty matters. On this episode of The Daily Dollop, I'm chatting to Millie Thomas, an eating disorder recovery coach, about her journey with anorexia and the slippery slope of diet culture. Here's part two. Welcome back to The Daily Dollop podcast, everyone. I'm really excited today to have a special guest with me. Joining me is the incredible Millie Thomas. Millie is a certified eating disorder recovery coach and neuro-linguistic programming practitioner. Millie battled anorexia nervosa for 15 years and is now fully recovered and providing support and guidance to other eating disorder sufferers. So before we get into sort of the topic that I want to ask you about, which is Mm -hmm. this idea of the slippery slope of sort of diet culture, because that's certainly the area where I play in and I don't I don't work with clients with eating disorders. That's not my area of speciality. But I want to ask you about neuro-linguistic programming that you mentioned that you're trained in. Can you explain what that is and how it works? Absolutely. Um, It's it's a little (laughs) bit hard to – I always find it quite hard to articulate because I never really understood it until I was in it, you know, and and Mm. I was having, you know, in an NLP session, I was like, wow, this is powerful. Um, But, I mean, basically – there's a connection, right, between our neurological processes, so that's the neuro part of it, yeah. language, so linguistic, and behavioural patterns that are learned through experience, which is the programming. And these can be, um, you know, changed to achieve specific goals in life, right? So NLP is about using that, um, smashing through limiting beliefs, um, figuring out where, you know, for me it was like really getting to that bedrock of my eating disorder and going, right, we're going to deal with that. Um, mm. I explain it to clients like in their heads, there's an eating disorder superhighway at the moment. And, you know, when you've thought a certain way for a period of time, those furrows in your brain, we've got all these neural pathways. And the more that you think that same thought or that same belief or held that same value, those connections um, become deeper and deeper. Those furrows in your brain are deeper and deeper. So this eating disorder superhighway, it's fast. It's, you know, there's flashing lights. It's just easy to get on it, right? And so that's what you choose. However, on the side of that highway, there's, you know, a, a, a random hill that's all grassy and overgrown. And that's that's a pathway. That's a healthy self pathway that they, they need to choose again and again and again until it's a carved path, until it's a tar sealed path, until it becomes a freeway. And and you are making those furrows deeper and deeper and deeper in that respect. And so, you know, NLP really empowers you to know that you can change your brain. It empowers you to know that, you know, anything is possible and that you have mm. all the school, the skills, tools and knowledge inside of you to do that. And I think one of also the formative things about NLP is that it's not about looking back and disparaging ourselves about decisions that we've made in the past because at the end of the day, you made the best decision at that point in time with all the tools, skills and knowledge that you had. And so it's just about using our experiences to um, 
to help us moving forward, but also to, to recognize patterns, um, and, and yeah, change the way that we, we live our lives and we look at our lives. Yeah. I love that. It's funny actually, because without having ever been trained in NLP, I've frequently said to clients over the years, I was like, the way that you choose food and you think about food or you think about yourself and your body is a well-worn path in your brain. And to do the new behavior feels awkward and not comfortable because it's like walking through the bush with a machete, you know, like trying to carve yourself out a new path. And of course, one of the sort of lies of diet culture is, you know, because there's this beautiful girl on Instagram with a cascading blonde ponytail and her green smoothie. And she just woke up one day and she's a clean eater now. And do you know what I mean? And everything's perfect and honky-dory and lovely. And she reconciled with her mother and, you know, and I just think it's not that simple. (laughs) And so, yeah, so I love that. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that. It's such a great analogy. Um, So let's talk about diet culture and body image and its role in eating disorder development. You said a really interesting thing as part of your story about the genetics loading the gun Mm -hmm. and then the environment pulling the trigger. So yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. Is, is that mean that obviously, obviously not everybody who does a crazy diet ends up with an eating disorder. But certainly if there are some predisposition here with our genetics that then sort of dabbling down particular sort of avenues of dieting can then trip them over? Yes. Is that yes. what that means? If you're genetically predisposed, yes, absolutely. And then obviously um, it's, it's to do with your personality characteristics. And I mean, someone can be genetically predisposed and it never gets triggered off. Mm. Their personality characteristics might be totally different and they're never put in an environment where... Um, makes them particularly vulnerable to it, um, but it definitely, definitely plays um, plays a part in it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So there's some interesting stats around like young people and dieting with you know a good sort of. I think it's like two thirds of young people trying a diet by the time they're an adult, and um, and then there being a proportion of them that then go on to develop an eating disorder. How influential do you think diet culture is from an eating disorder perspective? Like was it for you or was it something entirely different for you? Diet culture is hugely influential when it comes to eating disorders and it is hugely influential in um, someone's ability to recover as well because it is incredibly Mm. difficult to recover in a diet culture saturated society. Uh, I was having a a conversation with a client about this earlier this morning. Um, it is. It has a huge impact. If you think about the fact that you know we're constantly bombarded with images of perfection, of mm. um, this talk around good or bad foods, which is just utterly ridiculous because food does not have a moral value. Um, that this idea that we need to be limiting this, this idea that there's you know every if you were to look in the media every day, there's some new food that's going to kill you or some food that'll give you cancer, and then you know next month, oh no, that food is actually fights cancer, or it is just there's so much out there and people who aren't um, educated in in this take it mm. on and um, especially someone who's who has um, disordered eating or or is predisposed to having an eating disorder they take that and they run with it and take things to the extreme and I think there's so many different you know diets out there and I think the problem the problem what we have is that disordered eating is normalized in our culture. 
So, you know, a lot of uh, orthorexic tendencies are actually just totally normalized. Um, And that's really, really really problematic, especially for um, our really young generation. So, you know, I have parents calling me whose young ones at the age of five or six are coming home from school and asking why they don't have thigh gaps. Now, at the age of five, you shouldn't even have uh, a concept of what a thigh gap is, let alone be concerned about why you don't have one. Mm. Um, And so from my way of thinking, uh, diet culture and how, and also how it manifests on social media, uh, the two of those together, it's really is the perfect storm. And that's why we're seeing, I mean, eating disorder rates worldwide, and this was pre-COVID, had doubled mm. in the last 18 years. And then we're, we're seeing some horrifying statistics at the amount of, um, you know, admissions, eating disorder admissions to to hospitals since COVID. Um, and we're seeing people, um, because the thing is, you know, also with, with the pandemic, there was, again, this focus on bodies. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic and people are worrying about whether they're going to gain weight during lockdown. Now, if that is not an indictment on how, stuffed up our society is um, and how overly focused we are on weight and shape. I don't know what is. I mean, I was yeah. just mortified at how that became and, and the the, um, the exercise routines and, you know, I mean, your Instagram feed was just full of that kind of stuff. And and then we've then all of a sudden we've got the what I eat in a day videos and things like that. It's like if we all ate the same and we all did the same, we're all going to look completely different, guys. And yep. those images that you're seeing on the TV, on social media, you know, in, in the magazines, they are not real life. Um, they've all been altered, manipulated, airbrushed, you know, whatever in, in some way. I mean, even on Zoom now, apparently you can touch yourself up. It's, really? <laughs> yes, apparently you can. I That's don't know crazy. how you do it, but apparently you can. And it's like, yeah. I just, I, yeah. it really worries me as to how we're going to... How are we going to get around this? How are we going to change this rhetoric in society? And I think the other mm-hmm. the other thing that comes at us as well is this focus on the obesity epidemic, right? So a lot of the public health messaging is around um, doing a certain amount of exercise. Or I had a, I had a client the other day saying to me, she was just screaming down the phone. She was beside herself. She said, I mean, I, I switched on the TV and there's either a an ad for light and easy or um, an ad for, you know, making sure you get the right amount of steps in. And and so I think we really have to think long and hard about how we, yes, obesity is an issue, 100%. But then we need to also look at how we can um, tackle that whilst not um, further, you know, further negatively affecting those who are already battling eating disorders and those that are predisposed to them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's like, um, yeah, I, everything you just said, I feel like my brain's going a million miles an hour because for someone who's been in like nutrition industry, like I started off my career helping people lose weight because that's just what we did like back yeah. um, when we were first trained. I've now like brought myself to the point where I 100% will help a client lose weight if that's what they want to do. But it's never ever from the perspective of, I'm doing this because I have to be a better, prettier, more worthy, valuable person. It's kind of like this has nothing to do with your value as a human being. Let's maybe try and I often am trying to talk them into taking a more health-based approach. Just just think about maybe nourishing yourself a little bit more or um, or caring for yourself a little bit more through certain eating behaviours. But, um, yeah, it's a, 
it's a full minefield. I certainly feel like from nutrition because we've got on one extreme, you know, when we look at dietary information and intakes, a really um, unhealthy Western diet, right? That's poor for our health. But then that we, we flip all the way to this other extreme where there's just so much emphasis on what you eat and what you look like and how much you exercise and all this stuff that that becomes unhealthy too. And we just flick from one extreme to the other rather Mm. than finding, you know, like, I don't know, there's some kind of middle ground, I believe in there somewhere. (laughs) It's, it's, it's challenging. I don't think I've even figured out in my career how, how we are supposed to do that, but we need to take the stigma and shame away from how we eat and what our bodies look like for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do. And we need to normalize talking about that. And, Mm. um, I think, you know, I did, I did a, um, a talk at a school the other day and I just said, you know, you guys, it was to, to yes, some of your 12 students. And I said, you guys need to be the change. So in the, in the playground, when you hear talk about, or you hear someone commenting on somebody's body or you hear, um, uh, someone talking about, uh, you know, what someone else is eating, Either don't, if you can't speak up about it, then please don't participate in that conversation or walk away. But the best thing that you could do is actually speak up about it. And hey guys, we shouldn't really even be talking about this stuff. Like, Mm. and I think that's, that's so, so important. Yeah, definitely. That's something that, that I've tried to do because I've done lots of stupid diets in my younger years and spent a good majority of my twenties hating my body and not doing things. And um, for no other reason, just because I literally had went through this phase in my young adult, sort of 18, 19, where my parents had kept like magazines out of our family because I had a pretty strict sort of religious upbringing. And then I discovered like magazines with all these pretty women in them that looked a certain way and had like no freckles or skin blemishes and they had no hair and they're just, everything was so perfect. And I spent like all these years like, trying to be like them without even realising that that's not a real image. And I just think one of the things I've done with my daughter is never ever, and she's 13 now, is said anything negative about my body in front of her. I've always been like, yeah, this is my tummy that birthed you. And um, we're pretty open in our family. Let it, they, she walks in on me naked all the time. But I'm just like, I'm never, I don't want to ever be ashamed of it, you know, and it, I've now he- never heard her speak anything negative about her body and but heard her friends do it and I, I feel like that's all it is. It's like modelling. In a whole generation we could change the language of how they see their bodies and how they see other people's bodies. Amazing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's what we've got to realise is the impact of what, of what we think and what we say has on, has on them. That's it for today's episode. Tune in to the final part tomorrow. Life's too short to live with food stress. The answer to your food woes is not trying another fad diet. Join the Healthy Eating Hub today and focus your efforts on building a healthy relationship with food that nourishes both your body and your soul. And if you or a loved one are struggling with an eating disorder, you can get in touch with Millie via the links in the show notes. And I highly recommend checking out the End Eating Disorders podcast. A big thank you to the Capital Chemist and the Daily Dollop in crowd for their continued support of our show. We couldn't do this without them. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you love what you're hearing, please leave us a review.